welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everyone. We're welcomed by Dr. Bhavik Patel. Bhavik, you've been on before. Thanks for joining us again. We really appreciate it. Good to see you. We have lots of things to chat about with you today. First, just give the listeners a quick reminder of you know who you are, where you are, and, and what your practice is all about. Uh, thank you once again for having me. It's a really great to see you all in your summer, in your full form. So uh, my name is Dr. Bhavik Patel. I'm a trauma and an acute care surgeon who works now at two public hospitals in the southeast corner of Queensland. Uh, one is at the Gold Coast University Hospital, which is a C Chest Wall Injury Society collaborative center. The other is the Princess Alexandra Hospital, which I'm trying to make a collaborative center. And the third is a private hospital known as the St. Andrews War Memorial Hospital. My special interest stay in as we are a part of this, chest wall injury reconstruction, and of course, acute care surgery and minimally invasive techniques in trauma as well as acute care surgery and glad to be here just out of curiosity do you have to go to all three of those hospitals like on any given day or do you Uh, you guys kind of assign any at each individual one throughout the week uh, at least two in a given day sometimes Uh, i try not to do three otherwise it becomes too daunting (laughs) sarah this is going to be the first person with two centers right so does he get some kind of award for this because i mean that's a pretty big deal he has I think so. Twice yeah. the work. Collaborative yes. centers <laughs> that he's running. Tell tell yeah. us about that, Bavik. How, how is that going for you with your, you know, you've established your first one, but your second one, tell us about that. As we all know, this is this is still, when we started the society, we and Dr. Bauman would agree with me that there were a lot of people who didn't really believe in the science behind this. But then after our meetings and everything, we have we still remember that we were challenged to even get 150 members. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sarah, and we are more than... 700 members now in the society and uh, the other thing which is important to look into is that I know we are uh, getting there and we hope that we are second in the number of memberships in Australia but we want to be the top ones and we are trying that very soon. Uh, Whenever you go to a new center and start things take a bit of a time as you all know to get everybody people are a bit hesitant I should say to take this new thing on because they are not really keen to understand how things work plus it's a new procedure and as we all know in our various collaborative center meetings that the question has always been how do you convince your administrators in the hospital that this is the best way for the patient and it's the best in patient's interest. Plus we all work at centers which are busy with different other operations and to get your own time in as we have understood is always a bit difficult but a bit of collaboration with all the other specialties getting other specialties on board and pushing through does get you through eventually as I've learned from you guys that if it was not possible to make 150 members in five years we have made 750 members so Aim high, as Sarah and Tom White say. Fantastic. So I just got to ask, what is the number one animal-induced rib fracture pattern that you guys see down in Australia? I know here in Nebraska, where I'm from, we see a lot of uh, cattle trampling people and causing rib fractures. What do you guys see down there? I know what it is. It's tourists examining wombat shit because it's shaped like a cube and then and then getting run over by a herd of kangaroos, right? Is that right? <laughs> 
Sarah. I think you're getting there, but, but still, <laughs> the kangaroos are there, but it's still, it's still, uh, motorbike crashes are also higher up there. So yeah, it depends on what you, where you come from. If you're in the city, it's still the motor vehicle ones. And if you come from the regions, you're right over there, then the kangaroos do create a lot of problems. So yeah. I like that he bailed you out. He's like, that's true. But, and then like continued on. Right. Exactly. That was so gracious, Dr. Patel. You really, you gave him a lot of runway on that one. So, so Bob, a, uh, a big part of why we wanted to have you on today is to talk about you got a big project to, to revise the CWIS guidelines document. Can you talk a little bit about that project for you? Sure, Mark. Look, uh, I feel for the progress of any society, it's important that it keeps uh, up to date with the current literature. We published those wonderful pathways or guidelines in 2019 in New Mexico, as you are quite aware of it. And uh, I felt that all of us have done a lot of work after that, you know, it's and literature has progressed accordingly. Even it's some of us and Sarah and hard work of getting people who are publishing onto the society, but some of them are still not in the society. And when a new literature pops up, you're like, who's this? Where does this publication come from? So I felt that there are a lot of things, especially in terms of our practices growing uh, very quickly, even like those patients who have had cardiopulmonary resuscitation, I'm just giving you an example, who are never supposed to be a candidate, but now we are already writing series of patients or we are writing about patients who have received cardiopulmonary resuscitation and gone to have their chest wall stabilized. And we all know that these patients do benefit from getting off their respiratory support and out of the hospital soon. Similarly, if you look at the geriatric population, if you look at the first paper come out of uh, the Americas where it, the geriatric age was 60 and you were like, okay, hang on, that's that's young, you know, like, but now we have pushed the limit almost and we are already talking about the centenarians who are requiring this form of operation. So uh, I feel that as a society, we should keep moving and that is where I thought it would be a good thing after... Dr. Schubler handed over to Susan that we should look more closely into what we should offer because let's face it, we are the only society with pathways outside in outside of the whole community whom people who want to take this operation up look up to and look at what exactly we are giving them. And that is why I decided to take up this work of at least trying to modify, not completely change the pathway, but at least modify the document so it's up to date. So uh, along those lines, Bavik, it seems reasonable after about five years to update guidelines. That seems like a reasonable interval. But what if, what, what do you think about a rolling guideline update? And what I mean by that is instead of doing the whole thing wholesale every five years, what if we, you know, every six months we updated a portion of them so that they, this process was ongoing and the guideline was more fluid and more alive a living guideline so i'm going to challenge that after this major revision you know we're, we're we're back to ground zero with the most updated guidelines available that we consider uh turning it into a living guideline what do you think about that idea is it crazy so i feel yeah a living document would be good but a timeline plus the literature also has to be kept up to date and good value of the literature it can't be just be like you know somebody's published a case report so let's now change our guidelines it doesn't really work that way as you know so i think we, we got to take it accordingly like this was the correct time because now that we've got more members publishing more regularly and we're looking into research also more and more in this stuff but 
somewhere or the other the six months we might not get those papers where uh, really which focus on our kind of level of uh, we, we can start at a year first of all I, I don't think that's wrong but then if we think that maybe that year we got publications which are really kind of uh, changing the there's a paradigm shift in the management then we can do those small bits even at three months that's we can shift them whenever we want because the document is run between the whole society and it requires a consensus. Now, it, it makes a lot of sense now that you articulated it better than I did. But if we, if something comes along a year and a half from now that really mandates a change because it really is a, a, a practice improvement and it's, a, you know, it's supported by good literature, then it makes sense to change it then rather than waiting three and a half more years to change it. So we wouldn't necessarily have to do it on a six-month basis, but maybe somebody ought to be looking... Well, I guess all of us could do that, but we should we should maybe be revising the document, you know, as needed. Does that make sense? I think these I think the guidelines are heavily used. I know I don't open them up to look at them every day, but I I get asked about them all the time, and uh, I think there are lots of places that actually re use the guidelines uh, regularly. That's my impression. Do you get a lot of requests oh. about them, like for especially in centers that are newer or that are still, you know, kind of developing their guidelines and their processes? We get a lot of questions about that. So I send them out regularly, <clears throat> and I think that's one of the reasons I'm the most excited that they're getting revised is because I feel like for the past at least year, we've kind of had this squishy feeling of like, oh, we need to fix this, you know. So each time I send them out, I I feel like I include a caveat sentence or five sentences that say, you know, some of this needs to be revised. So reach out when you have questions or, you know, or keep an eye on Slack or. An example would be the guideline currently says that TBI, you know, a severe moderate TBI is a, is a relative contraindication. And we now know that that's, there's, there's nuance to that. And it should be that portion needs to be updated. As landmark publications come out, we should be revising that document. Yeah. Well, I an octogenarian paper, you know, that, that, is specifically, you know, I mean, there, there are changes to the guidelines that need to be. So I, I usually say, please check out the CUS research specifically on, uh, you know, CUS Octo, CUS TBI, you know, so there are a few of them that I highlight when I send them out. I'm sorry, Dr. Bowman. I spoke over. Oh, no, I was just going to, I was just going to say, yeah, I, you know, when I go out and teach a lot of these classes, I utilize the CUS algorithm and, and oftentimes uh, somebody from uh, wherever we're teaching they'll print off all the um, the algorithm that we have and distribute it to everyone as like a means that they can utilize to build their practice or start a practice or, you know, keep themselves honest and consistent when it comes to, to rip fixation. And I always have to, you know, like everyone's pointed out, I always have to highlight our uh, absolute and relative contraindications and say, you know, I think that we're going to, we're in the process of modifying some of these. Uh, so more to come on that. Uh, so don't just hang your hat on on what we have currently there, but uh, people love it. I think people, it gives people at least a starting point um, to to develop, you know, if they want to modify it for their own institution or um, just keep it as is for their own institution. That was kind of the interesting part about the resident and fellow paper that, that we just, or, you know, or that's in the process of being published um, and that was presented at the, the summit in alignment with, with this document, you know, it was just giving people something to compare to you know they may change it or they may decide you know that's not how we're going to do it in our situation or or in our facility but at least there's something they can compare to and say okay we agree with this but we maybe want to change this or something like that but having you know having a standard to compare against i think is 
is really positive. So I, I think, you know, kind of like you say, Dr. Bauman, it's, it's certainly acceptable to let people know, like, look, these are going to be modified. They're going to continue to need, you know, ongoing revision, but at least giving people a baseline that they can then, you know, have point of consideration on, I, I think that's a, I think that's a really positive way that we can contribute to the overall science. And thank you so much for your amazing work. We're so excited to have these guys. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank <laughs> you. Dr. Patel, thanks again for joining us. Sarah, what do you got for updates this week? Sounds good. We have so many things going on. Super looking forward to September and October because we have a lot of opportunities to connect with, with our CWIS community. So we hope you are ready for it. Um, as far as things that are upcoming, definitely keep an eye out on the newsletter because you are going to um, want to keep track of all the, the details. Um, some of the highlights that, that impact the greatest number of individuals, we have Journal Club coming up on September 14th. Do not miss that. We're going to be talking about Dr. Benjamin Oliver's recent publication, and it is a great one. Then on September 20th, we have um, a webinar that Dr. White and Dr. Froze-Sidwa are going to be doing that's on incision planning. So I'm sure Dr. Sidwa will be great and Dr. White will be average and we'll, we'll somehow, you know, stumble our way through. Um, <laughs> then, um, we will be having a social gathering for those that will be at the AAST. Um, so please make an effort to join us because it's going to be fantastic on September 22nd. Um, then we are having another um, trainee virtual networking event on September 27th. So if you happen to be a resident fellow um, med student um, or if you happen to have a resident fellow or med student, please um, invite them to join us on September 27th. We did a couple of these, or we have done a couple of these over the past couple of years. Um, and um, those that register will receive a gift certificate to log in and order some Grubhub or something like that so that everybody has food and can hang out and chat and just discuss. And they usually last anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. And we chat about CWA stuff and training programs and research projects. And this is really where that initial research project was designed and super, super fun and a great opportunity to connect with other med students, residents, and fellows that are part of CWIS or have some connection to CWIS. Um, and then rounding out September, we have case review on the 28th. So those are the items that are just happening in September. I'm not even gonna go through all of October because it, it'll just be that much more complicated. But I do wanna highlight a couple of quick items. If you have a patient, if you have any octogenarians or any nonogenarian patients that you wanna highlight in case review, please send them my way. Um, we will be highlighting octogenarians in October because we're so clever and nonogenarians in November again because it's so clever. Um, so the um, October case review, um, October 26th and the November case review is November 16th as part of CWIS Day. This is also my plug for CWIS Day. If you don't already have um, time booked on your calendar, November 16th, you need to do so now because it's going to be amazing. That is a whole ton of updates all at once. Let's plug two international opportunities. I'd like to uh, mention Dr. Uh, Dr. Lard Noir's course, uh, rib course in Basel, Switzerland. He's been having a very successful 
rib fixation course there in Basel, primarily designed to educate uh, fellows and residents from France. He's a very uh, prolific researcher and uh, advocate for chest wall surgery, and we have recently established a a relationship. CWIS is going to have uh, be, be present at the course and support their course, and I'd like to challenge anyone who wants to go to Switzerland in October, the 13th and 14th, they should take a look at at this uh, this training opportunity. The other one is uh, P- the PTS course, Pan American Trauma course this year, or a society meeting is actually is in Cartagena, Colombia. Again, it was there a few years ago. It's a wonderful place for a meeting, and SeaWIS uh, will have a presence there. And that's November 1 through 4, I believe. So I would say um, that what I would add to them is just at the PTS, we'll be having a full pre-course. It's an all-day meeting on November 1st. And then also there will be chest wall injury content that will be presented as part of the main course um, during the the content on November 2, 3, 4. So um, if you are looking to um, enjoy some time in Colombia... Um, great opportunity to get some some trauma um, education and also participate in in the CWIS course. So that should be really fun. Awesome. All right, guys, let's do a final stitch. What do we got? I'll go first, and this is completely spontaneous because I didn't have anything prepared today. I'm sorry, but I'm uh, just delighted to be here with you guys again. I Mark, I we missed you. And it wasn't quite the same without you. So thanks for coming back. Um, and and Bavi, pleasure to be with you every time, always. And we need to do it more often. So come see us. We'll come see you. That's all I have to say. All right. Well, mine's mine's easy to do because uh, I, I finally moved in my house. And it's been really fun, uh, a lot of work. And uh, I got to thank my wife again because she has just built this whole house. And it's just amazing. I mean, she's done it from soup to nuts. Um, Mine is just a little request for patience. I happen to be on a call today, and I'm not going to out the person that that, um, did this because I'm sure this person had best of intent, Um, but I was on a call. Well, I had two calls in a row, one with with Dr. (coughs) Joe Forrester about uh, NOFO or CUS Day, and then one right after with... um, Dr. Everett Erickson about collaborative centers. And in a one hour time frame, one of our very dear CWIS members sent me three emails in a row and called and left a voicemail that this person wanted attention in that moment. And you know, that that's kind of a lot. Four reach outs in one hour. <laughs> and, and I would just say, you know, Let's all remember to exercise just a little bit of patience because then by the time I returned the phone call and said, it, are you on fire? Are you literally in fuego? You know, because typically if I were to, you know, the first email was, I need to talk to you. The second one was, why haven't you, you know, why haven't you called me back? And the second one was, oh my gosh, it's been an hour. And then the phone call came occasionally People are on phone calls and occasionally we could exercise just a little bit of patience, wait a little more than an hour if we have a need. Because Sarah. I love you all desperately. I love you. But sometimes I need just a little more than an hour to solve your problem. Sarah, surgeons don't have patience. 
That's not one of our. Nope. That's not one of our <laughs> that, virtues. Ding ding. That is categorically true. So I am just requesting that we could just all have a little more grace with one another, and it would make everybody's day better, particularly mine. <laughs> all right, Doctor B, Zach, you got it. You got one for us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I just, uh, I just want to put a, I know it's a little early. It's September 1st, but uh, we've been, we've been uh, starting to have uh, papers from the summit uh, trickling in with acceptance to the journal of trauma. And I just want to put a good plug out there for the upcoming December issue, the CWIS issue, our special edition. Uh, super excited to see it. A lot of great things uh, going to be published this year. Um, you know, obviously not everyone can get uh, accepted. So uh, it's unfortunate that we can't have all the papers go there. But uh, I know that the papers that don't get accepted will get accepted elsewhere. It's just, uh, we just have so much great research coming out of uh, this organization. It just makes me so proud. Um, I love when I go out and I teach and I talk to people in the community. I'm just uh, so proud to be able to say, hey, just heard about a new paper going to be published in the Journal of Trauma, talking specifically about that. It's awesome. You got to check it out here in about uh, three months, three, four months. So it's, it's super exciting. So love it. Thank you to everybody, to all the membership for all the hard research, all the hard work that you're putting into that uh, to really make uh, chest wall injury, um, you know, the, the real deal in the eyes of uh, the scientific surgeon. So awesome work. Dr. Patel, you got a shout out? Uh, first of all, once again, thank you. Uh, it was really wonderful. I wish I could see everybody in person, but I still have the wonderful opportunity to see you at least virtually. Uh, my shout out is a bit out of Chest Wall Injury Society. Uh, this Sunday is Father's Day in Australia. So I would like to wish all the fathers out there a very happy Father's Day. And I hope all their wishes come true. And the same for all the fathers in the United States of America who will have their second Father's Day because you guys have already enjoyed one in the Northern Hemisphere. <laughs> that is lovely. That's great. Do you think, Happy Father's Day. Do you think I can convince my wife to give me a second Father's Day this Sunday? Because that would be amazing. <laughs> uh, you just get a house, I think.